The scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 to chapter 2, verse 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. All right, church family, would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you that we have been privileged already to have tasted that you are good. We thank you for your gospel that brings such a change to our hearts, Lord. It's not just a, just a quick fix or a slight renovation, Lord. You give us a new heart. You turn us into a new creation that gives spiritual life. You take us from being spiritually dead, and you made us alive in Christ. And so we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for Peter, the apostle, who has given us this letter and, and that, that communicates such an important truth what we, to where we are as a culture, as exiles, as people who are different than the culture around us, Lord. And so I just pray that as we study your word this morning, that you would encourage your people. I pray that every person that's in this room today, whether they're a member of our church or somebody that's been around for a while or somebody that's brand new, I pray that whoever is in this room, Lord, we know that they are not here by chance, but they're here because you have brought them to this place. So we pray today that they would get a sense of your amazing, unimaginable love for them, as seen in this passage. We give you praise this morning in advance for what you will do, God. We pray that you'd work in our hearts, that we would leave This room changed. So in the name of Jesus, we pray that together. Amen. All right, if you would, go ahead and grab your Bible. Open it up with me to that passage that Gracia just read. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, starting in verse 22. We are walking verse by verse through this really uh, important book. And as I've said on previous Sundays, um, this book, 1 Peter, is written by Peter to a group of Christians that he gives them the title of exiles. Now the reason he gives them that title of exiles is not that they'd been physically exiled, although some had been kicked out of their home countries. That's not the primary reason. The reason he calls them exiles is that they are different. They are exiles. They are very different than the culture that surrounds them. 
They were experiencing exactly what Jesus had said they would experience all the way back when Jesus was alive and was ministering to Peter and to John and the other disciples. John 15, 18, Jesus says these words to the disciples. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, these early Christians were were feeling the weight of what Jesus had promised them was going to come. They were experiencing suffering. They were experiencing persecution. Many had been rejected by family and by friends. And and so Peter, in this letter, he seeks to encourage them. And in order to do that, he does one primary thing in chapter 1. In many different forms and with much different vocabulary, he seeks to help them to understand the many ways that God has demonstrated his love for them. In the midst of our own antagonistic culture toward Christianity, I think that's something that we need to be reminded of this morning. Peter wants every single one of you in this room to know that while you may be an exile as a Christian, that while you may be different, the most true thing about you is the fact that you are loved by God. You're loved. You may be different, but you're loved. You may be rejected by the culture, but you have the approval of the one who matters most. That's what Peter's doing in chapter 1. And in whatever way he can, he wants us to see God has demonstrated his love for us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He was working a plan to bring about our salvation. Even when we were sinning, he literally was showing us an abundance of patience, an abundance of mercy. And all of this led up to the point of the cross, where God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all so that we could have spiritual life. Jesus laid down his life on the cross as a demonstration of his incredible love for you. He took the punishment for sin that each one of us deserved. Peter is overwhelmed with the fact of God's love. He thinks about his own life, how he had denied Jesus three times as Jesus was going to die to him, and how yet Jesus still returned to him and brought him back in the fold. And he can't help but worship Jesus because of this dramatic, unimaginable love. But then, as we talked about last Sunday, what happens in the midst of all these descriptions of the ways God has loved us, he begins to say this, In light of the amazing love that you have received, you, as a Christ follower, are called to live a life worthy of what Christ has done for you. We are called to be, what did we talk about last week? Holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. Which means this, that every single part of our life should be set apart for the singular purpose of glorifying Christ. Our actions, our behaviors, our attitudes. Everything about us should be seen as an act of worship to Jesus. That's what we're called to, to be holy as we are holy, as he is holy. But then today what we're going to see is this holiness not only impacts our relationship with God, right? We're to be holy, we're to be set apart for him, but this holiness should also directly impact and shape how we relate to one another. That's what Paul Peter's talking about In this passage, he says, if you have been given this extravagant love that God has demonstrated for you, you then should love one another. 
Read with me, verse 22. It says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, when Peter says that they have purified themselves by obedience to the truth, what he's talking about in that moment is their salvation. He's saying, you heard the gospel. You believed the gospel to be true. You submitted your life to that gospel. And the result of that is that what? That you now have a sincere brotherly love. He's saying your salvation, your obedience to the truth had a purpose. That purpose was not only holiness between you and God, where you're connected with him, but it also has a purpose for, look at it, verse 22, sincere brotherly love. It's amazing. This is one of those places where Peter is simply reiterating what Jesus had taught him. You have to remember, Peter walked with Jesus. He had heard Jesus teach. He had seen what Jesus had done. Jesus in John 13, 34 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So the goal of our holiness is not that we would be separate from the world around us. Not that we would look at the world and say, man, I'm a lot better than you, right? I'm holy. What's wrong with you? but instead that we would go and live a life of love among one another. So Peter's main message to us this morning, his main challenge is very simple. You're going to see it on the screen. Our salvation demands a response of love toward one another. Our salvation, our reception of God's immense, unimaginable love should reveal itself in love toward one another. You see this all over the Bible. It's the inevitable result of a heart that has encountered the love of God. Now, when he says love one another, who's he talking about? Well, of course, we're to love the world around us. We're to love our neighbors. We're to love all these people. When he says one another in the New Testament, what he's talking about is the church. He's talking about other believers, those that you're most closely connected to. In our setting, that would be First Baptist Church, San Francisco. He's saying love one another. Now, This is, again, one of those places where Peter is plagiarizing Jesus, right? He's saying exactly what Jesus had said. Verse 35, it says, By this, Jesus said, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. He's saying, I've created the church. I've put together you as a family in such a way that the outside world, those who don't believe in me, should be able to look at your interactions, should be able to look at the way that you relate to this person and that person and this person within the body of Christ, and they should see they are disciples of Jesus. That's the only way somebody could love like that. So he says this is the starting point. You cannot go and love the world if you don't first love the people in your family, in your church community. He knows that we will never go and love the people out of these walls that are different or hard to love, if we don't first begin to learn to love the people that are hard to love and different within our own church, right? It says start by loving one another. That's the starting point. So then let's ask a couple questions about this command. We need to know two things this morning, and that's what we're going to talk about. We need to know, number one, what does this love look like? And then number two, how do we actually grow in this kind of love? That's what Peter's going to tell us this morning. First question, what does this love look like? 
I think that's a very, very important question because the word love is almost beyond rescue in our culture today, is it not? What I mean by that is that we use love for so many things, it doesn't mean anything anymore. In one day's time, you can hear me saying, I love that new song, I love my family, I love Jesus, and I love queso. You can find all of those things. Now, let me just, as an aside, let me just say this. For those of you who have grown up in the Bay Area and you aren't, you aren't familiar with queso, you need to know this queso that Chipotle is putting out there is not queso. You just need to know that. Do not judge queso by Chipotle's queso. You need fake cheese to have good queso. Let me just say that. So, but I love Jesus. I love queso. Same word, right? We need to get an idea. What does Peter, how does Peter define love? How do the scriptures define love? Well, in this passage, he gives us two basic characteristics of the kind of love that we are to have for one another. The first thing he says is this. We are called to love earnestly. You're called to love earnestly. Now that word, if you look at it, at its original language, it's a physiological word that literally means this, to stretch to the limit of a muscle's capacity. That's what the word earnestly means, to stretch to the limit of a muscle's capacity. I understand this concept a bit too well right now because Rachel and I actually just completed, we do a little morning workout program, and the one that we just completed was called Insanity Max 30. Now, the goal of this workout program, in essence, is to take your muscles, whatever muscle it is that day, your arms or your legs or your abs or whatever it is, and to take it and use it to the max for that 30 minutes. Now, my problem with that program is about five minutes into the program, my max is already there. I'm done, right? Like, I can go no further. If you could see me, and I'm glad you cannot, I am there on the floor breathing. I can't breathe. I'm in pain. And I'm just laying there because literally I've taken my muscle to the furthest limit that it can go. It did not take long, unfortunately. But that's the kind of picture that he's trying to paint here. He's saying that's the kind of love you're to have for one another. It is an all out. It is a stretch to the limit of your capacity, insane kind of love. Love one another earnestly. In fact, that word earnestly, you'll find it In the New Testament, speaking of Jesus, when he's sweating drops of blood, praying right before he's going to pay the price for your sins. That's the word that it says. It says, and and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly to the limit, to the max. The love that we are called to have for one another is a love that is willing to pay a cost. It's willing to pay a cost. It's willing to lay down our lives It's willing to lay down our preferences. It's willing to lay down our money. It's willing to lay down our time. It's willing to lay down our emotions for the sake of meeting the need of someone else. That's the kind of love Jesus had. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love then abide in him? So the one thing that is very clear about this love that Peter calls us to have, not just for anybody, but for the people around. Look around. These are the kind of people you're called to love in this way. He says it is an active love. It's not just a feeling. It's a a love that is demonstrated. It is shown. 
I'm so grateful this morning that Jesus did not look at me in my sin and say, oh, I really feel for you, Ryan. No, Jesus laid down his life for me. He demonstrated his love through action. It's a love that will cost you to meet the needs of one another. It's also a love that does not give up on people. And this is something I struggle with. There are those people that come into your life and at some point you say, I've gone far enough. They've cost me too much. They've cost me too much money. They've cost me too much of my time. They've cost too much of this. Peter would remind us this morning, Jesus did not give up on you. He didn't. He didn't say, I've gone far enough. Instead, he was stretched to the limit. His arms were nailed to the cross. His feet were nailed, and he took the price. He paid the price we could not pay. He loved us earnestly. Therefore, he says, go and love one another earnestly to the max. But then he calls us to a second thing. This kind of love, a characteristic of the love that we're to have, is also, he says, we are called to love sincerely. You say, what is a, a sincere love? Well, it's a love is, that is not hypocritical. It's a love that's not deceptive. In essence, it's a love that is filled with truth. This, too, echoes, again, what Jesus had taught him. In 1 John 3, 18, he, Jesus says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but what? Indeed, that's that earnest love, and in what? And in truth. Deed and truth. So it's not just about going and doing good things for one another. That's not enough. He says it has to be with deed and truth. Without truth, there is no real love. You see, if as Christians, we were to go out into our culture and we were just to say, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about love. It's all about just loving people, doing good things. The world would not reject you for that. What would the world do? The world would look at you and they just, yes, that's what we believe too. It's all about just love. It's about doing good things. But I will tell you this, the early Christians did not get burned alive. They didn't get thrown in the gladiator games and ripped apart by wild animals because of that. Jesus didn't die because he just loved people. What? He had a sincere love. He had a love that was filled also with truth. A love that was centered on who God is. A love that is centered on who we are as sinners and a love that is centered on what God has done to make us his again. You see, the world wants to separate truth from love. They say, you, you can't tell me I'm, I'm sinning, that this is actually against the God to whom I'm accountable to. You can't tell me that. That's not loving. Well, I am grateful this morning. That's what you, you want to know what you call that? You call that tolerance. Tolerance does not need truth to exist. Tolerance exists just fine without truth, but I am thankful this morning that Jesus did not just tolerate us. Instead, Jesus came and he said exactly what we needed to hear, that yes, apart from his work, we were on a road toward judgment, that we were children of God's wrath because we had rebelled against our creator. But what did he do? He wrapped that truth in action. And he went and he paid the price that we could not pay. He died the death that we couldn't give for our sins. Jesus perfectly held truth and deed. And now he calls us to go and do the same. And our love for one another, I'm wondering, do you have a sincere love for one another? Do you love people enough to tell them the truth about yourself? To confess your sin, to confess your shortcomings, confess your struggles? 
Do you love people enough to tell them the truth about their own lives? When you see something in their life that doesn't match up with their faith, are you willing to ask those hard questions? Do you love people enough to point them to the truth of God and who He is and what He has done? We must love earnestly, but we must also love with truth. So here's the question. Do you legitimately love the other people in this body earnestly and sincerely? Do you love them so much that you're willing to pay a cost? Do you love them to the point that that it stretches you beyond your ability, beyond what you think you can go? Here's a question for you. Who do you choose to befriend in this church family? Is it just people that are just like you? Is it just those people that you think you can get something from, whether it's a friendship or relationship or something else? Or do you love those who have nothing to offer you in response? When's the last time that you wept with those who were weeping in this church family? That you were close enough with a community that you actually weeped when they were weeping? When's the last time you rejoiced when somebody in this church family was rejoicing? When's the last time you confessed your sin to somebody in this church family? Brother and sister, trusted, that can take that sin and point you to Christ. When's the last time you confronted lovingly and kindly another person about their sin? It is this sincere, earnest kind of love that we as God's people are called to. You say, Ryan, I don't really have this. I, have, I need to grow in this. Well, friends, here's the question. Is there at least a desire to grow in this kind of love? Because if you have experienced God's love, let me just tell you, there will at least be a desire. If you see no desire to love the other people in this body in this way, I think Peter would call us to ask the question, have I ever truly experienced Jesus' earnest, sincere love for me? Love one another earnestly and sincerely. So then we move to our second question. How do we grow in this kind of love? Say, Ryan, I, I have a desire, but I'm way over here. If that's the standard, earnest, sincere love I'm way over here, how do I grow in this love? Well, I have good news for you. Peter says there is both great hope for you, and there is also a way to move forward in growing in love. What is our hope? Our hope, ultimately, is that what Christ has done in us through the gospel, through his word coming and taking residence in our life, when we obeyed the truth, when we accepted the gospel, he says, what God has started, he will bring to completion. It is God who ultimately will grow love in you because he's made you into a new person. That's what he's getting at at the end of verse 22. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. See, in verse 23, you see that same phrase that we talked about two weeks ago. He says, you were born again. Why can you have hope that you can love other people in this way? He says, because you've been born again. His word, the gospel, has come and it's changed you from the inside out. He's made you a new creation. He's taken your heart of stone and he's created a heart, a soft, both towards God and other people. Another pastor said it this way. He said, unlike what many people think, Christianity is not about God making good people better or struggling people more stable or grumpy people into nice people. 
Christianity is about God making dead people alive. And that is what the Holy Spirit has done. He has taken residence. The word, the gospel, has taken residence in us in such a way that there is hope that we can love other people. He's given us the ability through his word that is implanted in us. He uses Isaiah 40. That's what that passage is from about the flesh being, being there and then gone. He says physical seed may create physical life, but no matter how great it looks, no matter how much it's flourishing, it's going to die. But he says, the word that has been implanted in you, the gospel news that has been planted in you will never die. It is imperishable. And it gives you a way to love people like I have called you to love them. So he then points us, how do we grow in that? The hope is the gospel that is within us. How do we grow? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says, you want to know how to grow in your love for one another? You must consistently put away all these things that no longer fit who you are. That's what that phrase, put away, was used in that day to take off old clothing. I would imagine you've probably seen this, a guy in his 30s or 40s or his 50s and he's wearing a t-shirt his favorite t-shirt when he was in from when he was in much better shape in his 20s right what looked good tight then doesn't look so good tight in this moment right and you look at that and you think take off those clothes put away your old clothes it doesn't fit who you are anymore that's what Peter is saying here he's saying slander malice envy All of these things that you treat people, they don't fit with who you are anymore. You have been changed. You have received God's love. These things don't represent that. They don't look right on you anymore. You see, Peter knows that while the seed of the gospel is in us, we're being transformed. He also knows that until Christ comes or we go to be with him, that we have to battle with the flesh. And the flesh wants to do everything opposite of what God would call us to do toward people. While we may desire to love one another earnestly and sincerely, the flesh instead says, no, use people, manipulate people, tear them down, don't build them up. That You build yourself up by tearing them down. Envy, slander, all of these things are, are fruit of the flesh. And so he says you have to consistently put away those old things. Look at your life today. Look for these things. I think far too often when we come to a list like this, we just quickly look over it. We say, okay, well, I may struggle in a couple of these areas, but it's not a big deal. You know who needs to hear this? That other person. My spouse needs to hear that. That person at work needs to hear that. My neighbor needs to hear that. Let me just warn you this morning. All of those things that are mentioned, you are very capable of. Malice, envy, slander. We are very, very capable in all these things. The flesh is very capable in all these things. All it takes sometimes is for someone to hurt us or for someone to not give us the recognition or something we deserve and what happens. All of a sudden, malice begins to show up in our hearts, right? Or maybe for some of you, you struggle with with deceit and hypocrisy. You say, well, it's just a few little lies at work. Or maybe you just paint yourself in just a little bit better life than what you really are. Or we do this as Christians. We may confess our sin, but we confess about 10% of our sin, right? We, we, we confess something, and even that 10%, we make look as the, the best light possible. I, I used to struggle with that. 
deceit, hypocrisy. Or maybe your thing is envy or slander. Maybe you see that in your heart. It doesn't take much. I think envy is one of those tricky ones because we're usually not envious of everyone. But I wonder this morning, what about that particular person that you're envious of? Who do you envy the most? Who are the people that you dismiss the quickest? Who are the people that you slander most easily? Again, I think as Christians, we, we, we kind of camouflage this with our language. We say, man, he is really great, but did you hear about what's going on in his life? We camo it. Man, I, this person, I really love him, but I am about to destroy him with my words, right? We, we act one way, but then we throw little things in. We easily talk about people behind their back. We slander them. We cut them down. So why? So that we could be lifted up. He says, put away these things. These do not fit who you are anymore. So if we're to put away those things, what then are we to take in? That's what I love. He talks about it in verse 2. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's solution to loving one another like we are called to is vibrant and alive fellowship with Christ through his word. That's what it's talking about, about pure spiritual milk. It's talking about time in the word, time where you are ingesting God's word. He says, long for it. He gives us this really vibrant picture when he says, we are to treat the word of God the same way a newborn treats the milk of their mother. It's a strong picture. I know we have a lot of babies in here. How many of you have a child that is two or younger? Anybody? I know we got some down here up at top, probably more in the family room. We have a lot of those. Let me just tell you what I know about newborns. Newborns, at least the ones that I have met, are not indifferent to whether they are fed or not. (laughs) Any of you new moms agree with that, right? They are not indifferent. They aren't okay with, well, I'll feed you just every now and then. No. Newborns long for their mother's milk. They are desperate for it. They cry out for it. When they are given it, they ingest it as fastly as they can if they're hungry. He says that's exactly how we should be with the word of God. We should crave it. We should long for it. We should ingest it. I mean, we need to take this in because without it, what? We go hungry. We go hungry and we aren't able to do what we are called to do. His word nourishes us like milk nourishes a baby. The reality is we will never love one another like we are called to love one another if God's word is not a vibrant part of our life. Think about this physically. When you are hungry, when you're really hungry, how well do you do at loving other people? We don't, right? We get hangry. (laughs) Hanger takes the most innocent person, the sweetest person, and turns them into a monster, right? That's what happens when we get hungry. We don't love other people. We're consumed with ourselves. How much more true is that spiritually? If we're going throughout life and we haven't fed ourselves, we have none of God's nourishing word in our life, how are we going to go and love other people? No, we're not. We're going to be consumed with ourselves. And so he says, if you want to love one another, it begins with the diet. It begins with continually nourishing your soul with God's word. And when I say nourishing, I don't mean just reading God's word. There's many of us this morning that we read the Bible. We'll read quickly in the morning. We'll read five minutes. We'll read 15 minutes, and then we just go on in our day. That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about intaking it, nourishing, it means actually bringing it in. 
Not just looking at it, but taking the time to meditate on it. Taking the time to say, how does this apply to my heart? How does this apply to my actions today? Well, how does this apply to the sin in my life? How, how does this apply to this? How does it apply to that? Taking it and making it our own. Nourishing us. I feel like this is what we are called to in this passage. And those moments that you've tasted that the Lord is good, those moments where God has met you through time in his word, time in prayer, what happens? All of a sudden you have a different outlook. You see people differently. You respond to people differently. And that's what this is getting at. You want to learn to love one another? It's going to be what do you do with your spiritual diet? Not just what do you do with one meal? Because I can eat a salad one time and you think I'm going to get angry if I don't lose 10 pounds? Of course not, right? One meal doesn't make that big of a difference. I can eat at Taco Bell one day. It's not going to make that big of a difference. But what you regularly put in your body, that's what shapes you one way or the other, right? The same is true spiritually. It may be that one day in God's word, missing it one day, it's not going to make a big difference. There may be some days that you read and it doesn't make that big of an impact. But I'm telling you, if you have a regular diet, that will shape you. If you neglect that regular diet, that will shape your spiritual life. So as we close, let me just give you three habits that I would challenge you as a church in. Because without these three habits, we will never love one another well. Number one, read the Bible personally. Aim to read the Bible by yourself daily. The reality is that this spiritual food, just like real food, it gets stale quick. You reading the Bible yesterday is not going to fuel you for a week from now, right? You need God's word daily. So let me just challenge you to read God's word daily. You say, Ryan, it doesn't make sense. Well, we'd be happy to help you with that. Ask questions. I would encourage you to get a study Bible. Get a good study Bible that has notes that explains the text, explains what's going on. Ask good questions. We want to help you in this. There are great tools out there. If you need help on this, you say, Ryan, I want to study God's word, but I need help. Feel free to put that on the card in the pew in front of you. Put it in the offering plate later. We'd love to talk to you more about that, but read God's word personally. Second, talk about the Bible with other Christians. One of the greatest ways that we love one another is to continually speak the truth of God's word to one another. I wonder, who in this room, who do you have in this room that you regularly meet with in order to share what God is teaching you through the word? Is there anybody in this room that you regularly meet with not just once a month, but regularly meet with to talk about the simple truth of what God is teaching you in his word. Some of my favorite moments of the week are those moments where Mike and I are just talking and we just share what God is teaching us in the word. There are many times I go into that meeting tired, I go in discouraged, I go in struggling, but every time I leave that time together, what? I leave refreshed. Why? Because his word is nourishing for our souls. And we are called to speak his word to one another. I think so many of us long for community, but few of us are willing to actually sacrifice for it. We're willing to be intentional enough to say no to other things so that we can say yes to meeting together to study God's word. And maybe not even to study it, but just to share how is God speaking to you through his word. You can do that over lunch. You can do that in community group. But I would ask you, who do you need to do that with in this room? We need to grow in this as a church family. We're going to talk about that more in our member meeting later today. Talk with other Christians about the scriptures. Finally, make Sunday worship a priority. Make it a priority. Here's the thing. 
If you don't regularly make Sunday mornings a priority, you're neglecting two things. You're neglecting both the Word of God taught in community, but you're also neglecting the very people that you're called to love. That's why we make Sunday morning a priority. Because God has brought us together. He's created a family that is here to encourage one another toward following Christ. So often we say, if I'm not busy, and if I'm in town, and there's not a good brunch deal, then I'm all in. Christ calls us to love, and that love demands more. Make Sundays a priority. Not every Sunday is going to change your life. Okay? There are going to be some Sundays where the sermon or a song or a time of prayer really impacts you, right? God speaks to you. You see a change that you need to make. You, you're given new courage. You, you're given something. It's going to be a powerful day. There are other Sundays where you may not leave with that much. Why does that happen? I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. He does what he wants. But here's the thing. One Sunday may not matter, but if you regularly neglect God's word and his community, I'm telling you, it will shape your life. But if you make Sundays a priority, when you make it a regular, ongoing part of your spiritual diet, a part of it, not the whole thing, but a part of it, you will begin to love one another more. So I wonder this morning, church family, what would it look like if we truly loved one another like we see in this passage? What if we, what it would it look like for us to love one another earnestly, that it cost us, we're willing to meet needs, what would it look like if we loved one another sincerely? We're rather to have love in our tr- truth, in our love. The good news is we can find out. He tells us the spirit is in you. That word that is imperishable is within you. It gives you the ability to love like this. So the question remains this morning, then how's your diet? How's your regular intake of God's word? Is it giving you the ability to grow in this kind of love? Let's pray together. This morning, as we normally do, we just want to give you some time for prayer. We know that for many of you, you're going so hard, even on Sunday mornings, that, that you haven't stopped just to spend time with God. And so this morning, I, I, my prayer is that God's word would have spoken to you in some way. My prayer is that God would be working in your heart. So maybe you just need to ask yourself the question, am I really loving earnestly? Some of you need to, you, God's already put someone on your heart. You need to write down an action step. This is what I'm going to do in response to this message. I'm going to love them in this way. I'm going to meet this need. I'm going to bear the cost for them. Some of you love earnestly, but not sincerely. You're too scared to, to confess your own sin and be honest about who you really are. You're too scared to confront lovingly and question and have conversation with others who may be struggling with sin. This morning, maybe God will call you to that. Maybe you're here and you're in this room and you say, Ryan, I don't have that kind of love because you have not received the gospel. God hasn't changed your heart. You haven't asked for his forgiveness. You haven't submitted your life to him as Lord and Savior, repenting of your sin and trusting in him with faith. This morning, the starting point for you is to simply acknowledge that he he is who he says he is. And he's done everything that you need. He took the penalty for your sin. This morning, you need to submit your life to him. You need to turn from your sin and trust him as both Lord and Savior. That's the starting point. I don't know what God's going to call you to do 
I don't know who he's going to put to mind about who you need to meet with to share what God's teaching you, what commitments you need to make. But I would ask that you simply listen to his voice in this time and respond.